The most exciting things in crypto are built during a bear market, and the savvy VCs investors who stick around and deploy capital during that time are the ones who benefit massively when that next bull cycle comes in. Peter Thiel's Founders Fund is likely one of them, and Joey Krug is a partner there after being CIO at Pantera. We talked about what they're investing in, how they're doing it, how they can deploy capital during the midst of this bear market, and especially about where AI and crypto will likely come together in the future. This is an awesome conversation you don't want to miss. That's dope. That's dope. You obviously, with Pantera and Founders Fund, are actually allocating capital into this space right now. And I think that a lot of people think there's just nothing happening, but that obviously isn't the case, uh, assuming that you're still working and have a job. So where is money actually flowing right now in the crypto space? Yeah, good good question. So, so I think there's a, there's a handful of areas. Um, so I think the main area right now, there seems to be a lot of like excitement around is kind of all this infrastructure around layer twos. So you have projects that are working on decentralizing various parts of L2s, like the sequencer, you know, like what actually sequences the transactions and orders them. Um, that's currently centralized in most layer twos today. Um, there's project, <clears throat> there's projects working on basically making that decentralized. Um, there's projects that are working on making it so you can have like a layer two on top of a layer two. So, you know, if you have like an app that you want to be super scalable, you can kind of have it on its own, um, basically little, little L2, um, and then kind of settles on, on one layer beneath it. Um, there's a bunch of infrastructure there. I would say that that you know people are very excited about. And then the other area that I see some stuff that's still interesting is DeFi, which I think is sort of in the trough of disillusionment right now. Um, and I think there's also kind of this this narrative that like, oh, you just thought V3 and Curve, that's all you need. The space has been solved, and, and no one's ever gonna, you know, like, like like. And that's a very dangerous narrative in tech. Every time someone says that, you know, someone gets disrupted. And so, um, and so I think that's an area that I'm excited about still, um, even though not, maybe not everyone else is. Sounds like very picks and shovels then and not specific sort of projects. It sounds like, uh, to me then that we're still building the infrastructure here and we're not quite there yet. I mean, is that the correct impression? Yeah, more or less. I mean, I, I've seen a little bit of stuff that's like, you know, more consumery. Um, like there's a, there's a project that I talked to recently that's building like a, I don't know if you kind of think about how like one inch aggregates, you know, trading, they're doing similar for like borrowing. So, you know, they'll refinance you the best rate, provide like insurance, um, you know, if you get liquidated in the middle of the night kind of thing. But um, but there's still not a lot of direct consumer stuff. And there's some social stuff happening like on top of Bitcoin with like Nostr and, and things like that. Although I haven't followed it super closely. I uh, went down an Oster rabbit hole recently because I kept seeing so much of it on my Twitter feed and I tried it and to me it seemed extremely clunky and found out there was basically like 6,000 unique users a day or something. I mean, it's non-existent and nothing against Noster, but there's literally nobody using it except for apparently like the 60 people I follow who have told me about it. <laughs> Uh, but there, I mean, you talk about being built on Bitcoin. Is that really an investable space right now, in your view, or is most of it still sort of in the proof of proof of stake networks and and other places? We've seen this massive boom, I guess, in ordinals and BRC twenty and you know uh, Lightning scaling and things like that. I've seen basically everything that's been built on Ethereum now being attempted somewhat on Bitcoin. But do you view a lot of capital flowing in that direction, or do you think that that's smaller than it appears? I think in total dollar terms, um, 
you probably don't see a ton of capital going in that direction, right? Like a lot of the rounds raising there are, are fairly early stage. They're fairly small. There's a handful of exceptions to this, right? Like, um, uh, you know, David, David Marcus, um, who used to be running Facebook's project, right? Launched this like, you know, lightning based project, um, raised a bunch of money for that. So there's a handful of exceptions, but I think like, you know, most of what I'm seeing, if you just take like the, you know, if you have like a hundred entrepreneurs pitching me, right. And you pick one of them out of a hat, you know, 75, 80% chance they're building on either Ethereum or something EVM based, you know, something in the Ethereum ecosystem is kind of what I'm mostly seeing. You think that things need to be built on Bitcoin or do you think that that's just kind of unnecessary and uh, mimicry of what's happening elsewhere? I, yeah, I don't think, I don't think they need to be. Um, I mean, if people want to like, you know, more, more power to them, that's great. But I think like the, um, the whole narrative of like smart contracts on Bitcoin is something that like I was excited about in like 2017, right? But but at this point, it's been so long. And even if you build that stuff, you often have to get changes made to Bitcoin, which probably aren't going to happen. Um, you know, like if you want smart contracts, for the most part, you should probably just use Ethereum. Um, and, you know, I think I think it's more likely that someone will figure out a secure way to bridge Bitcoin over to Ethereum, just not like graph Bitcoin, which is kind of just like a multi-sig. Um, I think that's an easier problem to solve than bringing smart contracts themselves onto uh, onto Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean that's what it what it certainly appears from to be from the outside. You talked about now layer twos building on layer twos. We're already talking about scaling beyond layer twos, then, right? I mean, I I've, I spoke recently with uh, Sandeep from Polygon, and he said we're going to have layer five, six, seven. He's like, there's really no end to how many of these we're going to have. But I was a bit disillusioned because I don't even think we've seen the layer twos function properly yet. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting point, right? Like the, um, you know, the layer twos themselves, like they work, but they're not fully decentralized, right? And the original vision behind all of them was that you could build this, you know, decentralized thing. You, you, you do have a bit more centralization than Ethereum because that's how you get speed benefits. Um, but but the idea is it wasn't long term that you have you know one sequencer that sequences all the transactions. You know that that was never the division. And I think um, people sort of ship that as like a minimum viable product. And then you know what, what you've had happen since then is people are like now that access we should build on top of it. And so and so like you know you, you have like infrastructure being built on top of infrastructure that's not fully completed. Um, you know it's 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 sort of like uh, building a new skyscraper in a city and you know only part of the plumbing's done or something. You know. I think that stuff will get built. Um, and I'm also not convinced that we'll have like, you know, layer sevens or whatever. Like I I, I think once once you have a layer two and then you have like a another layer on top of that for like app specific use cases, um, I guess you could theoretically have apps like split themselves up into separate, you know, layers, but I, I don't think you'll need that for a very long time, right? Like that then you're talking the the, the bottleneck is gonna be getting users far sooner than than like you need to have like a layer four or something. Yeah, right. And the issue there then, as you sort of pointed out, is the decentralization, right? It can be done, but it's being done through, like you said, the sequencer or through more centralized platforms. I guess the question then is how much do people actually care about the decentralization part? Because it seems like that's a huge narrative from the Bitcoin community and a big narrative from people who are deeply crypto native. And I would argue that 99% of mainstream doesn't care and will never care if they actually come into the space. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Um, I, I think the average person doesn't really care. Um, I, I do think they care about like, 
this notion, which is very vague, right? There's a notion of like, can I trust something or not? Um, and, and, you know, maybe if you're a bit of an edgier, techier, kind of slightly still mainstream person, you might know enough to know that like, well, super centralized may be bad, right? Like super centralized, oh, FTX blew up, super centralized, bad, decentralized, maybe good. Uh, and, and, and like, even that like small, like, like narrative is maybe enough to, to care a little bit, but it's not like people are going to care about like the exact mechanics of how something is decentralized or how it works or anything like that. Um, I think people only care about things like, like centralization, privacy, all these things that, you know, we care about intellectually. They only care about those to the point that it like causes a problem for them, right? Like people hated centralization when Mapbox blew up and when FTX blew up, but they still use those things because FTX is more convenient, right? And then um, with privacy, you know, no, no, no one cares until it affects them, right? No one cares about it until they get censored or, you know, their account gets banned or, or, or whatever it may be. Um, and so I think it's like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, there are features that people don't care about until they realize that it's lacking. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, we should have a cartoon that's like somebody typing into Google. Why should I care about privacy while Google's collecting your data and why you care about privacy or like, uh, railing against, uh, how something's too centralized while putting their face in front of their iPhone to unlock it. I mean, I think that people just theoretically care about these things, but when it comes down to it, they don't. I always find it interesting, for example, that Tether, the primary chain that is used for Tether is Tron, right? And seemingly nobody really likes Tron. Nobody's a huge fan of Tron. Nobody talks about using Tron in any other way, but it's cheap and it's fast. And that's the way that people send their stable coins as a result, right? So they clearly that's don't care. I mean, were you aware of that? It's the numbers are astounding, way more than on Ethereum. That stable coins are transferred on Tron. Yeah, massively uh, huge. Uh, so I just don't think that people genuinely care about that, which makes it interesting if you're investing, not you specifically, in things because they're going to be more decentralized. It doesn't even matter. It matters to me. Probably matters to you. But I just don't think that uh, your average person's ever going to care. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think like. So I think like when you invest in stuff, right, like decentralization, maybe like one feature to it, um, but also like it has to provide some other other benefit to to the user, right? If you think about having like two centralized you know, sequencers, right, like the sequencer can go down, your transactions cannot go through, um, you know, like, like, and those are problems that are like problems independent of like the theoretical benefits of decentralization, right? Like you can, you can get rid of all the religious aspect of it and be like, oh, well, having the system like be a distributed system is actually useful because like these centralized things go down. And if you're doing some financial transaction or like if you're in the middle of a trade, right? Like in, and the market moves and you need to get out of it. If the network is down when you're trying to get out of it, that's very bad. Um, you know, that, or if that's your why, centralized like, yeah. platform is down Coinbase, right? I mean, we could all remember for like five years, anytime there was even an inch of volatility on Bitcoin, you couldn't trade anywhere. Yeah. Every platform yeah, couldn't right. handle the load. Right, right. So I, I guess that that really is true that there's a pragmatic reason, obviously, to have the decentralization. You want redundancy. You want to know that these things are going to work. Do you think that we have any blockchains right now that can scale and are sufficiently decentralized? I think I think right now we're in this in this landscape where everything has a bunch of different bunch of different trade offs. And you know, actually, like you take like Solana, right? Like it's it's very scalable. Um, there's some complexities surrounding programming on it there's um it, it sometimes has downtime um 
that the hardware you need to run it, like a full Solano node and stuff is very, very expensive. Um, take Ethereum, like it's, it's kind of got all these nice theoretical benefits. It's made a bunch of good trade-offs, but um, it's still kind of expensive to use. Um, you take the layer twos, they're actually pretty good. The downside there is that if you want to go back to Ethereum, it takes a week, you know, and, and you have the centralized sequencer stuff. Um, and so you have like a bunch of different things that have made a bunch of different trade-offs. And I think within a number of years, we'll end up in a spot where like a lot of these trade-offs will just be solved technical problems. And like, you'll no longer have to make a lot of these trade-offs. Like that, that's kind of how most new tech is in the beginning, in my opinion, is you have stuff that ships, you make some hardcore trade-offs, and then eventually like it evolves to a point where you don't have to make the trade-offs anymore. So I say today, no, in the future, yes. Yeah, you said years. People in crypto need it next month. <laughs> They're so impatient. And I don't think that uh, people kind of realize when this these things were being built that we were talking about five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I think that's become much clearer, though, in this bear market, that uh, things are just not really fit for purpose or ready yet for mainstream adoption. I mean, even Sandeep, again, just because uh, just I just had the conversation, you said, you know, maybe we could accommodate in all of crypto with the bandwidth that exists a couple million people. But like talking about a hundred million or a billion trying to transact on any of these blockchains would just be wildly impossible at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think in practice, that's probably, probably true. Yeah. So I guess then it's good that uh, we haven't reached uh, mainstream adoption yet. So is Founders Fund investing in meme coins? <laughs> no, we don't. We don't own any, uh, any pay pay. Peter Thiel's not into McPepe and uh, McPeepee or whatever they're called. What do you make, though, of this recent meme coin trend? I hate it, to be honest. Even though I came in through Doge in like 2016, 2017, because I was a trader and I thought the Doge cycles were entertaining. But man, I'm pretty concerned that that's what the sort of mainstream legislators, regulators are seeing from this space right now when everybody has their eye on us. Yeah, I mean, I think like the... The, the space definitely has like a sort of like irreverence to it, um, which I think like, you know, makes it both fun, but also sometimes un, unserious. I don't think it matters too much, like in the grand scheme of things, right? Like uh, I'm I'm sort of very free market capitalist. If people, if people want to trade something, they, I let them trade it, you know? Um, and I think like, you know, the kind of all the serious work is still ongoing, right? Like, you know, you mentioned you know, you're talking to the Polygon guys, right? Like they're building very serious tech. Um, so is everyone else working on this other layer two stuff. And I think like sometimes the meme coin stuff is a bit of a distraction. Um, but I don't think it's like, it's like, I'm, I'm like neutral on it. It's like neither here nor there. It doesn't really affect me too much. Oh, we won't even be talking about it in three months. I'm sure. Yeah. It'll already be just another DeFi summer or NFT summer or metaverse fall or whatever, all of these cycles we inevitably have in crypto. But you're talking about the fact that all this infrastructure is now being built, which means that at some point uh, it will be ready. What do you think then the killer apps will be that are actually built on this infrastructure? Because I think we've struggled to find that really one sticky thing that brings in, you know, tens of millions of people. Yeah. So, um, so, so one thesis I've been kind of playing around with recently, if I ever have time to sit down, I might write up something about it is, is this sort of idea that, um, basically the, the short version is that Balaji's company 21.co may have been right, but just a decade too early. And so if you think about the vision there, it was that, you know, machines are going to pay machines and they're going to do it in crypto because credit cards don't make sense in a world where anyone can spin up like an autonomous agent 
that can undertake economic actions and you don't know who they are, where they're based or anything about them. Also, credit cards are made for business to business and business to consumer payments. They're not really made for consumer to consumer. Um, and stuff like Venmo like isn't global and also doesn't, you can only do certain transaction limits and stuff like that. And so if you look at today, you know, like the current like AI wave, which is which is a bit hypey, but I think also like fairly real. Right now, these systems are very good at like telling you data about the world. You know, you ask it a question that you might normally spend 20 minutes Googling stuff and opening a bunch of tabs and give you an answer that's like probably 90% as good as if you did it yourself. And the thing they can't do today though is they can't like, you know, my AI, like like my chat GPT bot, like can't like go like order me something on Uber Eats. Um, and it can't like send you a payment. But all these things are a short amount of time away, like, you know, very single digit years or, or potentially even months, depending on the particular use case. And so I think there might be a world where people build kind of like crypto plugins for these things, where it uses crypto as like the payment mechanism in the back end. And then once you have crypto enabled as well, you can also do other stuff, right? Like if you think about crypto, one of the drawbacks of it, everyone says, oh, it's so hard to use. Well, my AI, like if, if my API is kind of mediocre, like the AI doesn't care, it'll figure out how to use it, right? Um, and so maybe the long-term interface to crypto is actually just, you just tell this language model, like, hey, you know, figure out how to, say there's a trade you want to do, say you have like, you know, $100,000 worth of Doge and you want to swap it for ETH, and you just tell it and it figures out, you know, how to do it. Um, or you want to pay your friend and earn in a different country, it figures out kind of the most efficient route to do that. Um, and a lot of the times I think that route will be crypto. Um, so I think there could be this kind of like end state where mass adoption doesn't actually happen to people like using MetaMask or, or you know, Coinbase Wallet or any of this stuff. It's it's just like, you know, text or or verbal interfaces with AI that actually do the stuff. So it's the vir virtual assistant model. You effectively tell your virtual assistant to do it and it gets it done and you don't care how it happens. Yeah. Right, which could actually be very interesting for people trading and in markets for hedging strategies and things like that. I mean, I think they've already said that ChatGPT does a wildly better job of predicting price action in markets than humans do. And it's, it's still operating effectively on data from 2021 and before. How much have you actually played with uh, AI and ChatGPT so far? Um, I, I used it a, a pretty good amount. So um, when... Uh, I, I basically like when kind of the API came out, um, I messed around with it a little bit and built just like a handful of like things, mostly just for myself. Like I built the, you know, thing where you could, you know, text with chat GPT and then I built another thing where um, you would give it a phone number and you tell it what you want it to accomplish and it will call whoever you gave it, you know, and it will use text to speech and speech to text to basically have a conversation with them. Um, and and like the thing that's interesting about this current wave of AI stuff, I think is like, it's very easy to get from um, kind of like the zero to one, like wow moment, because the underlying tech is so good. Um, which is kind of the inverse of most startups, right? Like most startups, the zero to one wow moment is like the hard thing that forms a moat. Um, but here, if you're building on top of something like OpenAI, it's pretty easy to get the wow moment. But then like the like one to 10 of it actually being good, actually like covering all the edge cases you want, actually being like a great UI UX, is really difficult because there's so many edge cases when you're like, it's it's like if you hired like an assistant, right? Like you have to you're gonna mess up all the time. <laughs> and 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 then here it's like, so it's so it's kind of like a similar thing where um, it sort of inverts that model. So I think some of the best teams in AI will probably be ones that that just have like crazy crazy good product teams. 
Yeah, I think that's probably true, but uh, it's kind of scary, the vision that you talked about, if it has access to your wallets and money and is making terrible mistakes. Yeah, I mean, you, you probably, yeah, well, this has to do a different discussion, but you probably want to give it guardrails than, than, than like yeah. the question as well. What if it gets off sure. the guardrails, right? So, yeah, like uh, I would like to go on a trip to such and such and you don't give it a budget on accident and all of a sudden you're taking like a $45,000 flight and staying at a $10,000 a night hotel. But, but I, I do think that those things, to your point, will eventually be solved. I want to hear more about this uh, talk, talk to text that you've given a phone number and is having conversations with people. Do those people know that they're speaking to AI or do they think that they're talking to you or some other uh, human? Well, I just tested it with myself and my friends. So um, so they, they, they know. Um, you wouldn't know if it weren't for um, the like, AI like um, speech synthesis models. Even the best ones, like you can tell that they're not a human. Yeah. Um, or, or like, there's some that are good enough where you think like, oh, this sounds like a customer support person. Like, you know, like, like in the in the in like the mid 2000s when you call like Dell customer support, like, like, like that's like what it sounds like. And so, like today, people are just like, oh, this must be an AI. Um, I, I think within a few years, that stuff probably gets, you know, better, and you won't be able to tell. I have spoken with quite a few people and the majority are dismissive of the connection between AI and crypto, which you pretty articulately explained why it could be very important and possible. Do you think that there are other places that we could see a crossroads between the two industries? I mean, crypto seemed like we were getting hockey stick adoption and seemed like we had all the hype and it feels like AI has just erased that in a matter of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like... um I think people are dismissive of it because it's there. There are two hypey sectors, and so it's easier to just be like, "Oh, there's no, there's nothing there." Um, and I was kind of initially dismissive of it too until I started playing around with this stuff, and then kind of yeah, realized that like that like it, it actually does sort of make sense in certain areas. As as far as other areas, they could work together. I mean, there, there's some people trying to do. So there's, some, there's, there's a couple I'll list off. I don't think they actually make a ton of sense, but but um, the other areas are things like people are trying to build like you know, decentralized ways of like training AI models. And, and the logic there is that like, it should be cheaper than AWS because they're using people's home compute and GPUs and stuff. The problem with that, in my opinion, is just, you think about like developers and, and people in general, people are lazy, right? Like if, if you can write a piece of software and to train it, it costs you even 50% more money, but it's a way easier training stack and it requires way less effort every company is going to pay 50% more money to, to do it. You know, if it's 10 times less than sure, people will use the crypto version, but the problem is it's not 10 times less, you know, Amazon web services margins aren't, aren't that high. And so those, those ones tend to not be as interesting, you know, cause like, like I think, I think the in tech in general, the stuff, the stuff where someone's doing like some zero to one kind of huge new innovation, is always more interesting than like, oh, we saved you X percent cost, you know? You're obviously an investor now, but you started in computer science, right? Which is somewhat clear from this yeah. conversation, but that's actually your background. How did you make the jump from computer scientist to effectively a chief investment officer? So, um, so computer, so, so CS wise, I'd always been interested in that as a kid. Um, and, and then investing wise though, it was kind of like 2016 founders started reaching out to me asking just for advice on like how to build on Ethereum because it was very difficult back then, um, how to fundraise with VCs, um, you know, how to, like VCs would uh, often be like, if you're building on Ethereum back then, people would be like, well, explain Ethereum to me. So they wanted advice on like, how should I do that? 
Um, and so I started advising companies um, like Zero X and Numeri. Also wrote um, checks into into both their rounds, and then um, started kind of doing more deals like that, kind of just like on a syndication basis. Um, and and that's sort of how I um, met the folks at Pantera. And back then they were looking to bring on someone who had like a very strong technical background. Um, so the space is getting a lot more complicated. Uh, I'm sure you remember like 2016, 2017, it kind of went, the space went from like, oh, there's Bitcoin and Litecoin to like, there's a million things. Um, and uh, they're looking to try to like figure out how to, you know, how to, how to kind of like navigate that. Um, and so that's that's sort of how that how that happened. Yeah, and you navigated that alongside all of us, and now ninety nine percent of that is gone or <laughs> worthless, right? So talking about sort of the ICO craze and the ICO bubble, and a lot would argue that we just kind of did that again in twenty twenty one and coming into twenty twenty two. Do you think that we're going to continue to see these waves of massive? FOMO and investment into thousands and thousands and thousands of projects that go nowhere? Or do you think that people are becoming a bit wiser as to what's going to have value in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think like um, the way I always think about it is, um, you know, every wave of new tech and companies, you have you have like a, you know, huge percentage of, of things fail and then a few things work. Um, in crypto historically, you know, I'd say the, the failure rate's been higher because more things have been tried um, in, in some cases in the bubbly periods, more things have been tried than probably should have been tried. But, um, but, you know, you do have stuff that sticks around, right? Like a, a lot of the kind of the, the way of DeFi stuff, you know, so some of that stuff is stuck. And I think it's actually useful kind of like financial primitives. Um, the initial scalability wave in 2017, there was plasma, there was like state channels, there was like all this stuff like Raiden network and, and a million different things. You know, Starkware, Arbitrum, they're they're still around. Those those projects were created, you know, late 2017, early 2018. Um, I think uh in future cycles, I think people have people have learned some lessons. Um, but the problem that you have, you know, is that in all financial markets, right, there's there's always some pocket of the world um or of people who haven't entered the market before. And so when they come in, they do crazy stuff. And then they learn their lesson and then and then you know next time they're like the 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 smart people who don't make those mistakes but but there's always a new wave of, of entrance i think that kind of do crazy stuff and that's kind of how it will probably be for a long time. that describes every single one of us who came into the crypto space you know genius in a bull market get washed out once and then finally your brain i think starts to work uh, in the next cycle what do you think is going to lead the next cycle? We've talked about all these narratives that we've seen in the past. Do you think it is the infrastructure investments that you talked about before? Or do you think that we're going to see, is it going to be gaming or NFTs, metaverse, something like that? A lot of people are still very bullish on gaming. Is that any somewhere that you guys are deploying anything? I think infrastructure stuff is probably still going to be like the, the sort of like safest kind of like risk reward, you know, investment standpoint stuff. Um I do think though that we're we're kind of starting to get to a point where it really is possible to build stuff that has meaningful numbers of users. You know, sure as we discussed at the beginning, you can't can't get hundred million today. Um, but I think you that you could build something that had, you know, a million monthly actives, assuming they're not all active at the same time. Um and and so I think there will be some stuff in this next cycle on the consumer side. Um, you know, one thing we invested in at, at Founders Fund before I joined um is a project called the Mirror which is like, um, it's basically 
sort of think like Decentraland or Roblox, um, but where you can, it has like a live like game engine in it. So you can like actually edit the game while you're playing it sort of thing. Um, and, you know, the thing I would say is on the gaming side, people are getting much more sophisticated from like the actual game side. Like their game looks really good. Um, you look at something like Decentraland, the graphics are kind of out of date and a little stale. Axie you know? Infinity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and they're, versus this, like they're actually like gaming people and like the game looks beautiful and like, like you know, it looks like it would actually be fun to play. Um, and so I think, I think like there is probably something there. Um, you know, I don't really understand like the like, is one game going to work or not? Like, you know, it's well, not that, that's up to the market. Yeah. I mean, that's up yeah. to the market, but you, you make the best point. I think we saw sort of a wave in in crypto gaming of terrible games, but they had a financial incentive. So people did it, right? Like Axie Infinity. Like you found a way because you could make money and that was more than your job in the Philippines paid. So you found a way to play Axie Infinity. But that lacked the Fortnite and Call of Duty. I was at Consensus and there were a few games, to your point, that were just looked awesome. There was one, they had this huge boat booth that was called Shrapnel, I think. And I sat there and played around for 20 or 30 minutes and I'm not uh -huh. even a gamer. So you got to imagine that if we get the high quality game and that side, the financial incentive part, which at least temporarily was proven, there's got to be massive upside there. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Like, like when I was a kid, I used to play all these, you know, MMORPGs and, and like, you, you have a lot of the components of a metaverse there. The one thing you don't have is they're not really open, right? They have auction houses, they have like quests, they have jobs, they have hobbies, like people have houses in them. Um, and and so I think like that stuff I think is eventually going to happen. Um, and I think crypto will be will definitely be part of it in my view. I wonder then if this vision of the metaverse that everyone shared a year ago that seems to have disappeared is really just gaming. Like, will our metaverses inherently just be games that are on a much larger scale and are more open than the ones we've seen in the past? Yeah, I, I I think so. That's that's sort of my view. I mean, I think like maybe very long term, like you have some sort of like the game intersects with the real world via like some augmented reality overlay, you know. Um, but I think like in in practice, um, the most exciting metaphor stuff sort of is is and probably always has been gaming, um, in my view, anyway. So Founders Fund is obviously Peter Thiel. I think, does that mean that we should all be encouraged that you guys are still here and committed to this and excited about it? <laughs> because I think there's a sort of a mainstream view that nobody cares anymore. Honestly, I just think that that's what people think. Yeah, we we definitely care um, about crypto. You know, I think like, you know, we think that it's sort of one of the, kind of has the potential to be one of the next like big platforms in tech, right? Like you have like pretty transformative technologies in general. There's a handful right now. There's, you know, obviously the AI stuff, there's, there's crypto. Um, you know, there's some stuff happening in biotech. Um, and, you know, I think the definitely the thing I would say is like from a crypto standpoint, like we're open for business, you know, like we're, we're looking to invest into the space. Um, and, you yeah, know, super excited about it. I think like right now is like when everyone is despondent and, you know, all the, all the kind of, most of the traditional web two PCs have kind of left the space. Like that's that's the time you want to be investing. Like and and valuations yeah. are down. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's no no different than the market itself, right? You want to buy when there's blood in the streets, everybody's terrified and prices are so low that people think they have to go to zero. And it does feel like that's what's happening uh in in the VC side for sure. It's good to see confirmation of that.
Uh, and VC was kind of a four-letter word at the end of the last cycle. I mean, people were just seemingly unhappy with venture capital in general, the tokenomics models that were being perpetuated. Do you think that we're seeing sort of smarter investment and smarter structures for those investments at these lower valuations now? Yeah, I mean, I think like um, structure-wise, most most projects now are just doing the you know you 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 get an equity with a token warrant kind of thing and. Um, that seems to work pretty well. I, I think like last cycle or every cycle in crypto, there's various points in the cycle where everyone gets mad at VCs. And I think it's because <laughs> there's there's always a handful of firms that that do, you know, sketchy stuff, right? Like they they buy a token and say a bunch of positive stuff about it while they're selling it. Like that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. Um, you know, or they or they do stuff where, you know, they they, you know, like last cycle there was all this stuff where people would invest. And they'd have these like crazy like low float, you know, and then and then the market caps were like crazy high, and then you know like like you can see why um, you know the retail traders would get um, annoyed or frustrated with 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 that dynamic. I think you know, but there's there's another set of VCs that have kind of like a much more much more long term mindset, right? Like you know, um, at Founders Fund, for instance, like our our funds are very long term venture funds. Like we're trying to invest in stuff that. We think it's going to be stuff that lasts uh, long term versus like trying to find the the hot next narrative. Because often, if you invest based on narrative, anyways, like your tokens are going to be locked up for the most part, anyway. So like it's not like you can invest in some hot narrative and then sell it. You know when it when it goes to the moon, like you actually have to find stuff that actually works long term. Um, you know, versus if you're trading public markets, you can kind of do whatever you want, right? But but if you're investing in privates, that's it's a different game. I think the worst mental mistake that you can make as a VC or a seed investor is to consider the current value of your unlocked tokens as part of your portfolio. <laughs> but yeah, the the paper multimillionaire, and then by the time you're actually unlocked, it's worth almost nothing, right? Have you guys seen any difficulty actually deploying size because of the lower valuations or how few things? I mean, it seems like Teams are taking much smaller investments at this point. There's not as much on the table. And so if you have a huge fund, it's probably almost a challenge to get your money to work. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I, I think it's less, less, less of an issue for us because you know, we're we're a generalist fund. And so we can always invest in other stuff. Um, you know, we don't have to deploy any specific amount into into crypto. So it can be pretty flexible there. Um I think in terms instead of like exact dollar amounts, you know, the thing to me has always been like figuring out um, kind of what what level of ownership can you get that's you know a meaningful amount. Um, I think right now, let's see. Yeah, I mean, so projects are raising you know less money, um, but it hasn't really affected the way I invest because the the stuff that I invested in, you know, even at Pantera, you know, for the most part that I can remember, like. We didn't really do too many of those like very very high dollar amount rounds because they just they're just often not positive expected value anyways. I agree. Um, you're like the last money in. You're paying you know more than a billion dollar valuation for it. Um, you know it hits public markets. Looks great on paper. Eventually everyone gets liquid and you know it, you know so, so so I think like for us like um, if you're trying to do those rounds it definitely will probably affect you more but but. For the smaller rounds, it, they're kind of the same. 
you, you talked about equity with a warrant for tokens being sort of the new structure instead of being, I guess, fully liquid where, you know, you're just on a vesting schedule with the tokens. It seems like for a lot of projects in the last cycle, even having a token was really unne unnecessary and was effectively just a liquidity grab, right? A way to, to raise funds and VCs knew that they'd be liquid and wouldn't have to wait 10 years necessarily to sell. Are you seeing a further move away from that? I mean, do better question, do a lot of these things that are being built even need tokens? Yeah, it's a good question. So, so I think like in general, um, there's there's businesses that are like more of a company, right? Like they're they're more centralized. They don't really have like a protocol for the most part. And then when you see those businesses try to do like a token, like it, it generally doesn't make very much sense. Like it's, it kind of feels slapped on in your things that don't really need a token. And then you have stuff that's like an actual protocol. Like it's, it's you know, some DeFi protocol or some, you know, infrastructure thing. Um, and those ones for, for the most part, they do usually benefit from having like a token, whether it's for, you know, eventually long-term distributing, you know, fees to token holders. But in the interim, you know, you have like governance over the protocol. Sometimes you have various incentives in like, you know, staking things that 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 have to happen, um, where you just get penalized if they do something bad. Um, and in those cases, it gen generally makes sense. I see the, these days in the market, like I don't really see people raising stuff for stuff where they have a token where they don't need it, because um, you know I'm not even going to take those phone calls, right? Like if I see the deck and, it, and it's like there's some token slapped on, they don't need it. I'm not going to take the call. Most other VCs aren't either. The market environment right now is such that those things aren't getting funded. And so um, right now it actually feels like there's obviously like any market, there's there's always ideas that people are working on that don't make any sense. Um, but but there's nothing really where like, it's, there's not a lot that feels grifty at the moment, I guess is how I'd put it, like in the private markets. Well, that's good. good. Yeah, I was gonna say, that's great news. I last anecdotally, you know, speaking with VCs in the last cycle, I would say that those were the decks they were responding to first. <laughs> oh, you mean I can get, li I can get liquid and... 30 days from now with 25% of my investment, right? I mean, that's, I think that, and I I think everyone was just caught up in the cycle. I don't necessarily think that it was like, uh, had malintention, but I think that that was the format of primarily the last round of venture capital. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it depends on what, um, what like firm model you have, yeah. right? Like um, everybody was a VC. A <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of upstarts last cycle where like there was this one firm I remember that, it, it was run by a friend of a friend and you know, they, did, they did all these like private Solana deals. And I remember, you know, they, they started with like maybe 10 million and their portfolio was like 200 plus million at one point. And then, you know, on they, paper. they sold the, the on paper and then they sold the entire thing for like 20 million bucks or something. Right. Like, um, and, and, and so it's like, okay, it's a two X in, in like, like two years. So that's actually pretty good. Uh, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a like 25 X like they thought, you know, yeah, that's what I was talking about, counting your paper gains. If you don't have the tokens yeah. that they're in your portfolio, I think that uh, people have largely learned that lesson, hopefully. Although I put it, don't put it past humans to repeat the same exact sort of FOMO cycle and bad decisions when this bull market really gets going again, which I think inevitably right. it will, and we'll probably see all those things again. I mean, personally, with what you're seeing being built, you get so much deal flow, so many decks outside of what you guys necessarily are investing in as a company, is there anything that's being built right now that's really, really exciting to you? Either as a computer scientist, an investor, just a crypto enthusiast, what's actually getting you pumped? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a bunch of stuff. Um, so I'd say outside of stuff that we're investing in, like 
there's a bunch of people working on really wacky stuff with like um you know creating like hardware to is more on the computer science side creating hardware to basically like accelerate creating zero knowledge proofs and so you think about like the scalability problem we talked about okay you want to get to 100 million users um you know zero knowledge proofs based systems like starkware and stuff are actually pretty good a pretty good approach towards getting there long term one of the downsides is that it it often takes a good amount of time to create these proofs and if you had like a hardware device that could specifically just create zero knowledge proofs um then you would basically have a, a system where like you could probably hit much higher scale numbers than you could hit anywhere today um and so there's a bunch of startups that are creating like hardware to do this they're not like I've, I'm talking to a couple of them, but I think it's like some of those things where it's very hard to invest in hardware. I don't really feel like I have an edge there. And then the other problem with hardware investing is you have this dynamic where like people will copy you pretty fast. And so um, you always have to be like shipping kind of like a new step change improvement all the time. And it also just takes a really long time. I mean, if you're developing hardware now, this market moves at the speed of light, and it might be four years before you get something to market, and you're so far behind. How are ZK? I've never even asked this question. How are those ZK proofs now created at this point? Those uh, zero knowledge proofs. Yeah, I literally I, don't even I know think, the answer. <laughs> yeah, I think people are just using like regular, like you know, hardware on like AWS or whatever to to make them. Yeah, that seemed like that the ZK snarks and optimistic rollups and zero knowledge proofs, all these things seemed like they were going to be the huge investable wave of this cycle, but I haven't heard as much about it as I expected. Maybe that's just because prices are down. Yeah, I, I think that's just because prices are down. Like the um the like I went to the there was a Starkware event um in Israel a couple months ago, or February basically. And um there were a lot of people there building on it. Like, like I was surprised to see how many people were actually, you know, building on top of it. I think, um, like it hasn't really hit the narrative, like on Twitter or whatever yet to, to a huge amount. But, um, I think like as more and more stuff goes live there, it probably will be a pretty hot narrative in the next, in the next cycle. It'll be a hot narrative in the next cycle, then it'll crash. And then when you don't hear about it anymore, it's actually being used and we don't need to use the term ZK snarks and rollups anymore. That's when it will actually succeed. I think the biggest problem we still have is this vernacular and we're still too techy and talking about all these things when your average person just wants clean UX and UI and doesn't care at all what's running it, right? And we're just not... That That to me is the biggest sort of leap that we still need to make. I just think that everything is way too complicated for grandma. I mean, for the best you know sort of analogy we always make. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think stuff definitely definitely too complicated. Um, I think, I think there will probably be kind of like a bifurcation where those people who use like the crypto stuff, um, like us. And then, and then I think, I, I do think long-term most people will just interact with this stuff either do like interfaces that really, really abstract almost all of it, or even like chatbots. you know, I think, it, I think like, like if your grandma or whatever is going to ever use DeFi, it's probably because she, she told her chatbot she wanted to do some financial thing and DeFi happened to be the best way to do it versus like even like like it's probably not going to use like Coinbase or whatever for the most part. I like that. I think that, that that abstracts it all away and keeps it insanely simple. And then the bot can basically go figure it out. And I think yeah. that that's I think that that's actually one major way to overcome this challenge. I love that sort of as your thesis. You need to write that up as you said you were going to. 
yeah, I'll write it up at some point. I definitely think so. Man, where can people follow you after this conversation, keep up with you, and check out what you're doing? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm on, on Twitter and Telegram. I'm just Joey Krug. So my name, all lowercase, no spaces. Um, if you want to send me a pitch deck or, or talk about what you're building, joey at foundersfund.com. I have an incredible frog meme project that unlocks 75% <laughs> in one week. Are you interested? <laughs> Not on that one. No comments. Yeah, that, that, see, but I've got you here. So this is basically an investor call now. You can't, you can't avoid <laughs> me. No. Well, we're gonna, I'm going to have you back in the next bull cycle and we can talk about all the stupid things that people are doing again, okay? Sounds good. All right, it's a deal, man. Thank you so much. Thanks.